<clears throat> Don't you just love these guys? I mean, Dave and Ann, we love you. We honor these guys for the, the pioneering work they've done here and with Steve and, you know, the team. And I love Cody and Jenna, too. Uh, you know, they, these guys have really sought after God for what's next, and I know God's going to make it really clear to you. And Don and Sue, thank you for letting my daughter and I stay at your house. We love being with you guys, seriously. All right, you ready to roll? What we're going to ask is that by the time we're done with this message, that you actually respond to it. That if God speaks to you, I'm going to ask that you would stand uh, afterwards and receive prayer for it. But don't feel like you're forced to. But if you feel that you really believe what I'm about to share with you and you want to, to go for it, then I, I'm going to ask you to stand and I want to dedicate you and commission you by the end of the time. All right, so we're on a, a series, right? The five surprising things God loves. And you talked about laughter. You talked about purple. I'm going to add another one today. Did you know that God loves dancing? Yeah, he loves dancing. Have you ever thought about God dancing? No, right? It's like some of our traditions, no way. But it's not the typical type of dance you're thinking about. Maybe in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, I've come to give you life and that you may live it more abundantly. I mean, if you read that verse, how do you not think about God jumping up and down and dancing? It's about life to the fullest. And then when I think about the idea of heaven and earth, you know, we often when we become Christians, we're thinking about, I can't wait to get to heaven, but how about now? I mean, you pray a prayer, right? I, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. So is it possible that we can actually taste heaven right now on earth and that we can dance right now? We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. Yes, you can. And so I was pondering this some more, and I, I was thinking about the life that I built around myself for the last 25 years. And I built, like, you know, big churches. I planted churches. We did multi-sites globally. And then something was wrong to me because I was noticing how the people that were coming to our church, their best day was Sunday. And so you would actually, your best day is maybe sitting and then watching me speak, and then you sing some, and then maybe you get a little bit of chills, and you're feeling a little inspiration, and you walk out and go, ooh, that was good. And then you're going home watching the game, and then you're cussing at people next to you on the freeway. And I'm thinking, what the heck? I go, is this really the Christian life? And I found myself over the years, I said, this really feels like Groundhog's Day for Christians, where it's just like repeat, and it doesn't seem like it's getting deeper. And I looked at the city that I was living in, I said, I don't know if it's getting better. It seemed like it was getting worse. And I thought that if really God's present, things are supposed to shift all throughout the city and region. And I said, I, I don't want to go to my grave thinking that, you know, I was doing something great when maybe I was doing nothing at all. And so I started praying about this. And I, I said, you know what I need to do? I need to become bivocational. So I actually launched a commodity trading company in Newport Beach. And then I launched a consulting company in Singapore. And then recently I've been hired by a venture cap company in San Francisco. I'm a senior advisor there. And I'm a senior advisor at Rideback Ranch, which produced like the Lego movie and The Departed, and now the movie coming out called The Pope. And I said, that's fun. And then I started working in New York. And as I'm doing all this, I said, okay, now I see what it's like to work in the world. 
And you know what I discovered? You can dance. We can dance on Monday. It's not just Sunday. You can actually feel the spirit of God in everything you do. Imagine waking up and your eyes are lit with fire. And you're feeling through your bones the Holy Spirit energizing you. And imagine miracles happening. Yeah, miracles. Did you know it said in Matthew 9 and 10, it says the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. You know, we pray that the Lord will send forth laborers into the harvest. And then it says in 10.1, it says then Jesus took the disciples and commissioned them, says, I give you authority to do what? Cast out demons and heal the sick. Do you believe that? That you have the authority to cast out demons? You go, yeah, there's some demons at work, I know. <laughs> and also to heal the sick? Yeah, you got it. But then how do you use it? And so as I was, again, pondering some more, I said, is it just about witnessing more? Because that seems kind of weird that, you know, you're always looking at people as projects and you're trying to be nice to them so you can bring them to church. Is that it? So it seems somewhat manipulative because if someone did that to you, if a Mormon did that to you, they're being nice to you to invite them to the temple, you'd probably be a little upset. And then maybe you're just trying to, again, think about all the arguments that you need to argue with them about to try to win them to Jesus. And so our best thing maybe to be a witness in the world is to try to bring them to church or start a small group at the workplace at lunchtime or to pray. But what about all those other hours during the day? So I, I said, there's got to be more to this. So I started studying the Bible a little bit more deeply. And as I started working in the marketplace, and I said, there is some examples. Jesus himself, he wasn't inviting them to a building. What did Jesus do? He went to the city. It says literally he walked in the streets and people started gravitating towards him and God showed him who to hang out with. And then I started looking at the Old Testament. I said, is it even like, you know, long ago? And in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, we find a character that really establishes the model of what it looks like to work in the public square or the marketplace. Like, what would it be like if you worked in a normal job? And what if you didn't like your job? What if you didn't like your situation? What would you do? So this guy's name, his name is Joseph. If you have your Bibles, check out Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. And we're going to read verses 38 through 57. And it says this. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else? And by the way, he's talking about Joseph here. And this was like the pinnacle of Joseph's like career. Because uh, he's gone through a lot of ups and downs. And we'll talk about this in a second. Uh, about his ups and downs, but I want to kind of give you the conclusion. Don't you hate that when someone tells you the end of the story? Um, I'm going to give you the end of the movie real quick, because I want you to see, you know, the, again, what happened. How did he get here? But look, again, what, is, what did he say? Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Has anybody ever said that about you? As you're walking by? Oh, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Have they said something like that? Pharaoh said that, said that about Joseph. It says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. He basically became the prime minister of Egypt. Pharaoh was the most powerful man on the planet at this time. 
Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Man, that's better than any hip-hop artist you could ever imagine. He's looking good, man. He's got this nice royal clothing. He has a gold chain around his neck. And he says, then he had Joseph ride in the chariot, reserved for a second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. That's kind of weird, right? It sounds like. But again, showing you the power of Joseph. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I'm Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zephaneth Paneah, which means God speaks and lives. Come on, can, can you fathom that? That you impact people so much that they give you a new nickname? Zephaneth Paneah. In other words, when they see you, God lives and he speaks. That's your new name. God lives and he speaks. Imagine if you're at school and you're, you're not complaining about your studies. You're not complaining about the teachers and how much you hate math. And they look at you and get, you're unusual. I'm going to call you God lives and he speaks. I feel awesome, huh? You don't have to say yes. <laughs> it says, he also gave him a wife whose name was Asenus. She was the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old. And I know some of you are saying, you know, when I get 50 or 60, then I'm going to go for it, man. You know, that's when I'm going to give my all to Jesus and I'll be a missionary. Are you serious? These are some of your best years. These are the years you need to really go for it. You need to exercise the muscles of the Spirit of God alive in you. You don't have to wait till you're 50 or 60. You can get it now. And it says... He was 30 years old when he began serving the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. As predicted, for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields and the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. This was a for-profit venture. You see, this wasn't just any nonprofit thing just trying to survive. This, he was running a big organization, and they were experiencing huge abundance. And it says, during this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the, Pharaoh, or when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. And as soon as I read this, you know what I thought about? And maybe you feel this way. Do you feel that our nation or do you feel the world's experiencing a spiritual famine? 
Do you see like devastation going on and a lot of struggles? Do you, have you ever experienced more violence and aggress aggression maybe than in this current culture where now things are polarized, where literally because a person's of another party, you're gonna unfriend them? Can you imagine this right now? Where you really, they're literally your Christian brothers and sisters, but it's because of a political party, you're gonna not hang out with them anymore. This is a really horrible time. There's a famine going on in our land, but you know what? There was a secret sauce. There was a secret sauce to Joseph, which, which helped him to navigate all this famine. What was the secret sauce? How many of you like uh, have a special recipe? A special recipe of a good food. Anybody like that? It's like a secret one, a secret recipe. You can, you can raise your hand if you have one. Yeah, there's a couple of you. I know you guys have some ribs or something that you have some sauce on, right? Well, I, I have one that I'm known for in California and then also now around the world. It's uh, my special salmon recipe, okay? And salmon is a beautiful fish. And what I do is I, I, you know, people wanted to know the secret of this because literally people who've tasted my fish who don't like fish, they love it, okay? I mean, they really love it. And so what I've done is I put together a special concoction of different ingredients, uh, and it's unique. And again, I can't tell you right now, my, my son's the only one that knows uh, in case I die, okay? So <laughs> I, I, I want it to be passed on. Um, so I... I, I do all this stuff. I won't tell you the ingredients, but I'll tell you a little bit my preparation. What I do is I, I go to Costco, and I got the nicest one I can find that has the least, you know, food color in it. And, um, and then I bring it back to my house. I unwrap it, and the first thing I do is I put it under the faucet, and I wash it off because there's a weird film on the fish. Did you ever notice that? It's a kind of gunky, gross film. I wash it off, but as I'm washing it off, this is my... One of my secrets, I massage the fish. Yes, I just massage it, and I start loving the fish. <laughs> I'm loving that baby, man. I'm loving that fish. And I take it to the next level. You know what I do? I start praying for the fish. <laughs> I say, God, man, let, let this fish taste so good. Like, work your magic in this fish, because I really want everybody to say how awesome this fish is, God. So I'm praying for the fish, and then literally then I go through my whole thing, and I let that thing marinate for 24 hours. So literally, by the time you get it, and by the way, the one of the number one mistakes about fish, and you guys don't, some of you don't know this yet, the number one mistake is you overcook it, all right? It just goes, it's just way too dry. So you please watch the timer, all right? And let it still be moist when we eat it, all right? So when you eat my fish, what happens? You put it in your mouth. It starts to melt in your mouth. It starts to have these like little blossoming effect. It just, and suddenly it's a transcendent experience. It's like you're seeing Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's my fish, man. It's an awesome fish. It's my secret sauce, and I can't tell you. Now, what was Joseph's secret sauce? See, this is the thing. You think, man, to be a Christian in this day and era, Man, it must be really hard. Only pastors get paid for it. They're really deep with God. But how about the regular me? And then what if you have a job that's like known as a blue-collar job? It's menial. And you're doing the same thing over and over again. And what if you even have a great job? That at first, when you got it, you loved it. But to be honest, it's like steak. You can eat steak every day and get sick of it. 
So how do you take whatever job you have and you make it exciting and there's some secret sauce to it where there's some spice and there's some joy to it? Joseph gives us some insight. But you first need to know kind of like his transitions through his life and then I'll give you the secret sauce, all right? The way you look at Joseph is you can really see the transitions of his spirituality and the evolution of, of who he is by the clothing that he wore. There was a fashion to Joseph. So you see in Genesis chapter 41, you know, he's wearing some really nice robes and he had the chains. He was at the pinnacle of it. He's looking good. So he was in the palace. But it wasn't always that way. If you look at Genesis chapter 37 and he's a young man, he's a teenager, what type of clothes did he get? He got that really nice multicolored robe. It was like beautiful colors. And it was because Jacob, his father, favored him amongst all the other brothers. He was a young one. And so when Joseph would come amongst all the older brothers, how do you think they felt? I mean, they were wearing like normal like beige clothes, white clothes. And then the young kid's coming along. And he's got some nice Armani colored clothes, right? And he's looking sweet. And then Joseph had the audacity, it seems. And he comes and tells the brothers, I have a dream. I saw all of you guys bowing down to me. Now, if you're an older brother, what would you do? Man, you at least put a headlock on him and then give him a noogie or something, right? You do something with his head. Well, they didn't like what was going on with Joseph here. They, as he was sharing the stuff, man, they, they got angry with him. They got so angry that they went to kill him. And because Reuben, the older brother, came in, uh, into the scene, he says, no, we can't do that. They then threw him into the pit, and they sold him into slavery. So his clothes in the beginning was favored, and then suddenly his clothes changes, and he goes into a pit, and his clothes is all torn. Again, this is showing you like how life is too. You can feel favored in a moment, and then suddenly you're in a pit. It could be overnight. Like one day everything's great, the next day what happened? And he's being sold into slavery to go to Egypt. And what's, what's crazy about this is like his clothes are all torn. So his life is torn apart. And this is probably one of the first examples in the Bible of human trafficking. And this is his own brothers. I mean, come on, think about it. It's one thing if someone's a stranger and sells you, and that's horrible. But these are your own brothers. And so he's being taken to, to Egypt, and he's given a new set of clothes. Again, a transition's happening. He becomes the servant to Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard, which is essentially someone who manages the, the, uh, the Pharaoh's house or Potiphar's house. And so, so he comes inside there, and he's taking care of Potiphar, and he's got new robes on. And if you, as you come to Genesis chapter 39, he's looking good, and he must be feeling good about himself. He went from the pits, and now he's starting to rise and ascend to power, rise, rate, you know, going up that corporate ladder. And then suddenly, you know, uh, Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph, and she kind of has interest in him. In verse 6 of Genesis chapter 39, and literally the words are written this way in the, in the New Living Translation, it describes Joseph. It says, Joseph was handsome and well-built. He was GQ's sexiest man alive at that time. He was looking good, okay? And she saw it, and she wanted that guy, and she says, hey, let's have relations. And Joseph says, are you kidding me? I can't do this. This is your husband. He's my master. But she still is trying to have a relationship. She grabs for him, and she, as she grabs, Joseph takes off, and he leaves the robe. What does she do with that robe, that piece of clothing? Well, the next transition is going to happen. 
She takes it to her husband and says, your servant, he tried to rape me. He tried to have sexual relations with me. Well, where do you think Joseph's going next? He's going to have a change of clothes. They're called prison clothes. So he's in prison now. Imagine, this is his life. It's up and down. Do you ever feel that way with work? With life itself, man, all these ups and downs? He's in prison now, and it's something that he didn't choose. And he's going there because of people who are lying. It's unjust. And then what happens in prison? Well, he starts to interpret some people's dreams, the cupbearer and the, and the baker. And then eventually he tells the cupbearer and the baker, if you ever get out of here, would you please tell the pharaoh that I'm here? Well, those two get out of there. The baker gets killed, as predicted by Joseph in the interpretation. But the cupbearer, he's elevated. And he comes to the right hand of the pharaoh. But the Bible says at the end of Genesis, I think about chapter 40, it says that the cupbearer got elevated, but he forgot Joseph. So here Joseph is thinking, I'm ready to get out. I'm ready to get out, man. Finally, I got someone to defend me, to tell the pharaoh the truth. And then, then you know what we find out in chapter 41, how long it was? Two years. Two years. It says two full years. You know what's fascinating about the ups and downs of Joseph is you see all through it, and you see it through chapter 39, chapter 37, 40, and 41, is you see Joseph favored by God. Don't you know you're favored by God? I'd like you to say that right now about yourself. Say, I am favored by God. Ready? I am favored by God. Do you believe that? I asked my daughter to come share about this really great story. This is my daughter, Karis. Remember on Wednesday, if you were here, I talked about, you know, we were looking for a baby boy. We had a baby girl the first time around, and we thought it was going to be a baby boy because someone prophesied that we are going to have a, a, a boy. And so when Karis came out, I said, it's a boy, it's a boy. And it was a girl. <laughs> and I found out it was an umbilical cord I was looking at. Um, so... Yeah, that's my so favorite story. That's, this is my daughter right here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So this is Karis. Would you welcome Karis? <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Um, I, I wanted to share about a story of, uh, of doing missions. I did missions for three months in New York City, actually. And uh, we were doing something called a treasure hunt in Grand Central Station. And I don't know if you know what a treasure hunt is, but it's when you pray and you ask God for certain characteristics about a person so that you could find them and then give them a word of knowledge, something encouraging. And we met up with this team that does this regularly in New York. And one of the girls was really prophetic. And what I mean by that is that same night, she told us a story of how she, she saw a man in a bookstore and she's like, guys, that was so amazing. I saw this man and I just, God gave me a, a story about him. And I went up to him and I said, hey, I know that you're going through a divorce, but God just wants to tell you that he loves you and that he sees you. And the guy just starts weeping in the middle of this bookstore. And so she came, um, we met up again, and she, she says, you know, does anybody want prayer? And I'm like, oh, I hope she pisses. She's like, hey, can I pray for you? I said, yes, she's going to give me something really good. She's giving me a good word, and she starts praying for me. And she's closing her eyes, we're closing her eyes, and she's like, whoa. And I'm like, whoa, she's getting visions of me. And she's like, whoa, wow. I'm like, whoa, what am I, the president of the United States or something? Like, this is going to be so good. And she opens her eyes, she goes, God loves your dad a lot. <laughs> and I was like, oh, 
Any, anything else? She's like, no, he's just, I just see him as a favored son. God just, God just has his hand on his life and he's a favored son. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. She's like, yeah, that's all. <laughs> Thanks. I love that story. I felt this honestly all my life since I was a kid. Before I was even a Christian, I felt someone was looking out for me. And it's true. The, the fairy tale is true. You are favored by God. You are made in his image. Perfection is running through your veins. Who's in your body once you accept Jesus? The Holy Spirit, right? My question is to you is, what the heck are you doing with him? My guess is you're supposed to dance with him. You see, he's living in us. Are you tapping that for every day? Or is it just Sunday mornings when suddenly you're inspired by a song or sermon? How about in the workplace? Can you tap it? What are you supposed to do with that? Okay, well, here's the secret sauce. There's three things that the secret sauce of why Joseph was able to navigate things. He went from the pit to the palace. How did he go through the ups and downs and he still was content and he still was alive? He was still interpreting things. He was kind of flowing with it. Even in prison, he, you know, he wasn't out of prison. He was in prison when God was using him. If he could have been depressed and not talking to anybody and been in solitary confinement, but he's still engaging. He's still using his gifts. What's the secret sauce? Three things. Number one, for Joseph to see his dreams fulfilled, he'd had to interpret other people's dreams. You know what that means? You have to be willing to be second. It's really not about you being first. It's about like, you know what? I'm here to serve other people. A lot of times when you think about your work, you're thinking, I got to have this job, man, to feel fulfilled. And I don't have this job right now. And so we're really disgusted by, by, about our lives. And again, it feels menial. And again, it could be something that we liked in the beginning, but we don't like it now. You know what I found that jobs are like in America? It's like the pinnacle for us. It's the thing that we go after. And maybe that's a wrong perspective. Potentially, maybe our jobs are maybe like pieces of clothing where our clothing changes but we stay the same. And we can express ourselves through our clothing, but what's our original design? Who are we apart from the clothing, apart from the occupation? If we attach ourselves to the occupation too much, if we lose our job, you're gonna be depressed. So maybe it's not so much about the job itself, maybe it's about who you are and what you do and who you do it with. You see, maybe our jobs are like the palette that God gives us. It's a blank palette, and then we come in to that palette, whatever job it is, and we throw color. We're the artist. The way we're doing our work in that, on that palette expresses the beauty of God. Where people then look at us and say, yeah, he speaks and lives. I can't imagine, look what you're doing. I mean, it's like anybody else's job, but you're different. You see, the truth is, jobs and palettes will change. They're going to change. Some of the best jobs in the world weren't around 10 years ago. Did you know you can actually get paid to test luxury beds? There is actually a job to be a Ben and Jerry's taste guru 
where you can get paid $40,000 to $200,000 a year to, to taste ice cream. You go, dude, you don't have to pay me. <laughs> I'll do Ben and Jerry's any day for free. <laughs> but there's jobs that come and go. So is it really about the job? I don't think it is. I think it's about who you are when you're in the job. Because think about Jesus. Do you think Jesus is in heaven before he came down to earth and he's going, what is the most influential job I could have to really impact the people for the world? Oh, I know. Carpentry. <laughs> yeah, carpentry. Yeah, man, that's the best one. Wood making, uh-huh. We know Jesus was a carpenter. He was a physician. He was a bread maker. He was a winemaker. He was a teacher and a rabbi. You know what he ultimately was? And, and if, you, if you didn't know who you are when you came in here in terms of your calling, you're going to walk out of here knowing what your calling is. You know what it is? Servant. I'm here to be a servant. You don't have to go out there and think, i got to go make it happen. No, he's already making it happen, it says in John 5. He's in and around you, and he's already working. Your job is to respond to his movement. We call that the dance. He is leading us in the dance. When you're on the dance floor, you're not with your partner trying to move them to a certain position over here on the dance floor. That's not the goal. The goal in the dance is to be in the moment. You're intoxicated with the one you're with. You're lost. You're breathing her in. Why can't that be like our relationship with Jesus? That no matter what you're doing, you're lost in the moment. You're fully attentive to who's in front of you and what you're doing and how you're doing it. Maybe that's the art. That's the color of life. Amen. We got one person that believes. <laughs> The second thing that's important, that's, that's huge. Did you see what he said at the, in Genesis 41 there that I read to you? What do you say about that? Genesis 41. Let me get, make sure I got that verse right. It says, can we find anyone else, in verse 38, anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? You know what that word spirit is in the Hebrew? It's the word ruah. Say ruah with me. Ruah. It just sounds cool. One more time. Ruah. Ruah is the, uh, can be translated also wind. So it says, so obviously we can see the wind of God in him. You know what? Joseph literally blew people away. He blew people away with the force of his presence. So imagine like you're walking into a room in the spiritual realm and the winds are blowing. The darkness is running away. Demons are fleeing. Your, your feet are hitting the ground and lightning bolts are sparking from it spiritually because you've been given Jesus' authority. You're made in his image. Perfection's running through your veins. Spirit of God. Do you run with that energy? You see, the energy of that is not just to give you joy, but it, what it does, it actually helps you become creative. It helps you become creative with menial tasks against the palate. You can become creative in any job. You can be loving in any job, and you make the, the area beautiful. You know, the third thing, i got to finish it up. The third thing is really critical here. What else is it? As you look at this, it's a beautiful picture of Joseph understanding the secret sauce. The third thing can be decoded because it seems like it's in code. At the very end of this passage in Genesis 41, it says, Joseph named his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. 
all right? And you go, why is he just bringing this up suddenly? Like he's at the pinnacle and he's naming the sons Manasseh and Ephraim. Well, it's because he's telling you the, the code of the secret sauce through the names of the sons. Manasseh means what? Forget. He's forgetting all the, the, the hardship that he got from his brothers. He's not going to hold a grudge. So forget means he can't eradicate it from his mind. I mean, you're human. But you can treat people like you've forgotten. He's forgiving, in other words. He's giving grace. So he named his son Manasseh, forgetting. I'm going to let the past be the past. I'm moving on. And then he says Ephraim. You know what Ephraim means? Fruitful. Abundance. So he's going to say, man, look at how much God's blessed me. He's not going to look at the lack. Look at what God's given me. And then it says at the end of Genesis 41, he's giving it away. So what's he doing at work? He's blessing other people. Instead of always looking at what I don't have, well, what do I have? Well, I got a lot. I'm going to start giving it away. And what do you give away? Love. Love. You're giving away love. You see, because love is the most supernatural gift of all. Every one of us can give love at work. And what does love look like? Well, it's when you see a person where you're not distracted, you really see individuals, you look beyond the facial part and you try to see their soul because God will give you x-ray eyes. And I'm finding as I go around the world, he helps you to see people like they've never been seen before. And that's when they really see Jesus because that's the way Jesus walked and that's the way Joseph walked. He saw things beyond the temporal and the physical. He saw the divine. He's giving you those set of eyes. He give, he's giving you those eyes for your wife, for your son, for your daughter, for the people at work. And when that, when that happens, is the whole game changes. Because suddenly you're walking around beings who are made in the image of God, and they're supernatural. Heaven and hell is at stake. I was at, the, you know, my son... Um, I remember being floored. I had expected all my kids to go through universities and stuff, you know, their normal stuff when I was younger. And my son had told me that he, I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to be a, a hairstylist. And I go, oh, um, hmm. I said, you're Asian. You know, I was thinking in my head, you're, you know, this is not what Asians do normally. You know, we, we take a track of, you know, physicians and engineers, stuff like that. You know, valedictorian. What? <laughs> anyway, so my son eventually, you know, he, God did some crazy things in him, and the Lord started working through him, and he started teaching me through my son. And what I found is that God used my son to teach me the supernatural. You know my son? He started praying for people, and he saw people raised from the dead in Nepal. Crazy stuff like that. You go, is that only, is it really, this is my son, this is my son. I know my son, he's an introvert. He wouldn't be talking this way. It's my son. So anyways, I got involved with this hairstylist guy. And I'm, in, I'm in Brazil, and uh, uh, I went to get a haircut because his, his hairstylist, the mentor, was one of the top ten in the world. So I, whenever I'm in Sao Paulo, I like to go to his hair salon. They, the women that go there, they're paying like $5,000 for haircuts and coloring. They don't call it a haircut. They call it an experience. <laughs> And it's an expensive experience, all right? And so I'm going there, and I'm hanging out. Then he says, Dave, there's a person that's going to be washing your hair that, uh, you know, he's not a Christian and stuff. But, man, it would be great if, you know, you can hang with him. Against normal life. I'm not, like, coming in as a pastor trying to preach at people. I'm just being me. I'm just going to love people. I'm not trying to 
sell them anything, bring them to church. I'm just going to love them. And then this one guy comes up, you know, he starts washing my hair, and we're just talking. And to me, I don't feel forced to do anything. I don't have to throw a Bible at him. You know, I don't have to pray for him. I'm just, what do you want to do, God? Anyways, what happens is I feel like, okay, I need to ask him more. So I just asked him, hey, what type of, like, you know, I have a question for you. You I'm not trying to impose anything on you, but what type of religion do you follow? He goes, oh, I believe in the way of the hand. And he's Japanese. I go, oh, interesting. He goes, yeah. I go, well, have you followed it long? He goes, no, not too long, but my sister and mom are really serious into it, so I follow it too. I go, okay, that's cool. And I said, well, maybe we can talk some more about it later because I had to go get my hair cut. And then I got my hair cut, and, the, and my friend says, yeah, he wants to talk some more. Can you talk to him at break? I go, sure. So we go out in the break time, and I sit there looking at him. And I go, you said you believe in the way of the hand? He goes, yeah. Well, man, because I, I want you to see something. I want you to see if you feel something as I pray this like prayer. Because there's, there's this power that I know that can really touch your whole body. And I, I go, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And if you open up your hands, if you're willing to, don't feel pressure, you could really feel this. So he says, oh, you want to do it? He goes, yeah. So he held out his hands. I put my hands on top of his. And I said, God, I said, I said, I said energy. And this is the way I talk. It may sound goofy and new age, but the way I'm saying it is I know it's God. And Paul did this in Acts 17 when he talked about the unknown God. And I said, God, energy of all, uh, of all energies, Touch every cell of my friend's body and let him know how much you love him. May every cell of his body say yes to you. Wash him completely in your love. Touch his hands, his feet, his heart, everything. In Jesus' name, amen. And then I go, how do you feel? So my hands are burning. I go, yeah, that's Jesus. You know how exciting it is when you can go to work and you don't have to feel like you're a witness with verbiage because they can get verbiage anytime they want, 24-7 on the Internet or on their phones. But what they haven't seen is the presence of Christ, someone who's truly loving and non-manipulative, where you're going into work and you're doing your job because everybody has the job to do, but it's how you're doing it with joy, with a lot of love, and with the Spirit's power. You feel it. Are you ready? As you go out these doors to be activating the power of the Spirit because He's already in you. You go, Dave, I'm an introvert. That's okay. I remember there was a moment, seriously, where I, a person was praying for me, pumping my head. I told, told the people, Troy, they're pumping my head. I couldn't stand it because I'm a germaphobe. <laughs> And they're touching my head with their hand. I didn't know where that hand was. <laughs> and then they're praying loud, and there's a lot of people around me. They're pumping me. And I'm embarrassed because I know they can hear this guy. He's yelling, praying for me. And I'm saying, what's this guy doing? It's so embarrassing. And in the middle of that embarrassment, I heard a voice. Oh, Dave, you care more about what people think than receiving my power. And then I just lost it. You know, I did the ugly cry. I mean, everything started going around everywhere. And as I was crying, and I'm sure we were a spectacle, and the guy was pumping my head, I said, but God, I can't do it like him. You know what I heard? You don't have to. 
You know my Holy Spirit? He's like the introvert of the three of us. And that's biblical. He's called the comforter. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be outgoing. You just have to learn how to dance. Come on. You want this? If you want this, stand. And I'm going to pray that God would activate this type of mindset in you that when you walk out of here, it's every day you can dance with God. Stand if you want that. Holy Spirit, you're so good. You're awesome. You allowed us to come here on this cold winter day and experience the warmth and fire of the Spirit of God. There's no one like you. There's no God like you. And God, you give us the delight to not only walk with you, to flow with you, but to literally dance with you. We pray that you would fill our spirit with your joy. Enliven us again to life. Bring back those childlike eyes again. When we looked at the world with wonder and magic, where we really believed that there was things that were unseen, and we really believed that there was powers greater than us. And then, God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would become alive in us so literally we'd be able to heal the sick through your power. We'd be able to cast out the demons of our own hearts and voices and people that we struggle with, the curses of our families generationally. Father, we pray that you'd come and heal that now. Lord, if there's any disease in us literally right now, we pray that there be healings in this room. God, we don't come in as a weird way. We come humbly knowing that you're the healer of all. And we trust you, not only to be the God of Sunday, but to be the God of the whole week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.